0: The makers of that video, I think, are pretty brilliant because they can make me laugh and start to tear up in a matter of two minutes with a small kid wearing a suit um, trying to give me a pep talk. I think another reason why I love that video so much and I think it's brilliant is because, quite frankly, it's so easy for all of us to lose our way. It's so easy for all of us to lose our focus, our motivation, and we need a pep talk, you know, a pep talk that helps us remind us who we are Where we are and where we're heading. We need a pep talk to bring perspective. And amid all the the humor of of this video, the kid president, he 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 asks an astounding question. He says, what if there really are two paths? What if there really are? What if there really is a choice that has to be made? A choice that will impact everything that we do? Now some of you may be questioning your own journey this morning whether you've been in Christianity for a while, or you've been following Jesus for a while, or it's still something that's foreign to you, we're all maybe asking the same question. Where are we going? What path will I choose? Well, there's one thing I think we can all agree on, and we can agree with Kid President here. We all want to be on the the path that leads to awesome, don't we? I mean, the Kid President, he quotes Robert Frost's famous poem, The Road Not Taken. Where Frost finishes his poem by saying, two roads diverged in a wood, and I I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. We too have a choice, and the road we choose, it may hurt, and we may see rocks and thorns, but the road we travel does make all the difference in who we are, who we become, and where we go. Well, as we enter our passage this morning, uh, we find that we're on the edge of the promised land that Wendy beautifully read for us here in Deuteronomy. We're on the edge of the promised land with Israel, and they're gathered around the River Jordan, right there along the banks. They can see God's promise right across the water. And Moses, he sees the difficulties that are ahead of them. They still have to receive the promised land, to take it, to go into battle. And so he sees the need for a pep talk. Not much different than kid president here. And so if we look at the history of Israel, just to kind of recoup where we are, God has already fulfilled his promise that he made to Abraham centuries ago by making his offspring a great nation. And then he redeems Israel. He brings them out of the slavery of Egypt that they had been in for 400 years. And then he brings them and he, and he guides them through the wilderness, this barren wasteland for 40 years. And now finally they're on the cusp of the promise and all that he's promised to give them so long ago. And so we listen in on the tail end of Moses' last words that are captured here in the book of Deuteronomy. This is all one large sermon, as we've said before in times past. And Moses, he looks at the people of God and he says to God's chosen ones, You still have a choice to make. What will they choose? The road to destruction or the road to awesome? Life or death? And here's the thing we're not just watching their story, we see their story as a key part of our story. We're standing right there on the banks with them. We too have a decision to make. And we have to ask ourselves what will we decide? Well, in Moses' pep talk, he brings perspective, and he says there is an unavoidable fork in the road. You have a clear choice to make, so choose wisely. Well, just earlier in Moses' sermon, in chapters uh, 27 and 28, before chapter 30 that we're in, he calls the people to do a strange action, which, which will inform his call to decision in chapter 30, Since Moses isn't going to be joining the rest of Israel in the promised land, he calls them that as soon as they cross over the river Jordan, the 12 tribes that make up Israel are to split in two. Six tribes and six tribes. Six of these tribes are to take one path and go up what's called Mount Ebal. Okay, you can see it across the river Jordan. They go up this Mount Ebal and they go up to the top of the mountain and they are to proclaim the curses. Now, the curses are the the promises of death and destruction if they abandon the God who has brought them this far, and they abandon listening to his word. The other six tribes, you know, you kind of want to be a part of these six tribes in terms of this whole activity, they're to take a different path and to go up Mount Gerizim. And on the top of this mount, then they are to proclaim the blessings the good things, the, the flourishing, the life, and the promised abundance that is to come by holding fast to God and listening to his voice. And if you looked at these mountains, I mean, you could even look it up on Google. Uh, uh, you can do, like, Google, Google World or whatever. You can see that these two mounts are just adjacent to one another, and there's this deep crevice in between the two. I mean, there's a clear distinction that two different paths leads to two different types of hills that lead to two different kinds of consequences. And when they proclaim these cursings and blessings towards one another, this, this, this particular land structure creates a natural amphitheater. And you can actually hear when one confesses from one mount to the other. And they go across this chasm. And in the midst, the reverberations of the cursings and the reverberations of the blessings show the two options, the two paths, the two mounts that are so abstract And are speaking here, but so visible and tangible before the Israelites at that point. There's a clear fork in the road. And it's with this picture, immediately preceding Deuteronomy 30, before Moses' pep talk, that he directs everyone to evaluate the two paths that are before them. He says in verse 15, that's in your welcome folder, See, this this is a command, look at this. I have set before you today life and good or death and evil. Shrugging your shoulders and indecision isn't going to work. You have to make a decision here. And this isn't a decision as though we're going to pick a medium or a large coffee at one of my favorite coffee shops, Crossroads Coffeehouse. We have a barista in the house. (laughs) Give it a shout out. Um, This is a serious decision. This is life or death. Everything hangs in the balance now, the difficult aspect about this decision isn't a matter of what to choose. Because we all know, I mean, if, if somebody gives you life or death, unless you're doing Russian roulette, I guess, you're going to choose life automatically. This is obviously the best choice that's, that's laid out before us. But the deeper question isn't which is the better choice. The deeper question is when we know we can only choose one Why do we so often still choose death? Why do we choose the things that hurt us, that break us down, that destroy us when we're given the option to choose? I think it's helpful if we look look at what's attractive about both of these options that are laid before us. And so first, we're going to ask the question, what's so attractive about life? What's so attractive about life? Well, life in Scripture is always more than just mere consciousness, right? It's not just existing, being aware of your surroundings. But it's described here in verse 15 as being synonymous with good. It's very good. Life is not just enjoyment or beauty, but it's flourishing. It's growing. It's, it's reproducing. It's the kind of life that produces more life. In our passage, it talks about you will have life and you will multiply It will overabundant. It will be overabundant to the fact that your life will continue to grow and to bleed over into all aspects of the rest of your life. Life looks like full stomachs, families that love being together and staying together, security and rest from the worries of life and the enemies of our world, communities that support one another. Life looks like having what is needed and actually having abundance but not being consumed with abundance, having that abundance to share with others. Life looks like everyone using their power and community for the good of all while having an opportunity to contribute and enjoy a vocation, a place to work and to contribute, to employ our gifts and our talents. I mean, this is the sort of life that's described. If you go back in Deuteronomy 28, when it's talking about the blessings, this is the kind of life that God wants to give his people. This is what he wants this is the way he's designed it. If we look back to Genesis 2, the way he's designed life to be for flourishing and enjoyment, it's not meant to be a treachery. And it's the road that leads to awesome that's described in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 16 that we have before us. These are all synonymous. I mean, these themes keep popping up. And it's this consistent picture where God's design and our desires meet. In other words, what, we, what God loves becomes what we love, and he employs us and, 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 and trains us to enjoy what he enjoys, which is what we were made to naturally enjoy before we fell from grace. Doesn't that stir your heart? I mean, who here doesn't want that? Who here doesn't want that kind of life? Who here doesn't want that kind of community, one that's supportive? And it's so attractive, right? If you put that at the end of a path, oh, goodness, I'm going to show me the map, how I get there. So if life looks this good, if this is the way God has promised, this is what he's revealed, this is what he's designed us for, what about death is so attractive? Why is this even an, a viable option before us? Well, death in Scripture, and quite frankly, in our experience, right, when it's, it paints a picture of brokenness and languishing over against flourishing. Where do we see death today? We see it all around us. We see it in all different types of relationships and crevices. We see that death looks like starving orphans. It looks like absentee fathers, obsessive mothers, rebellious children, self-absorbed spouses, communities that lack jobs, or even communities that lack the desire to contribute. It looks like gossiping words that destroy reputations, amassing wealth to seek approval or actually choosing poverty or to do good deeds so that you might be approved rather than doing it for the good of the other. Death looks like using sex for acceptance. It's using intimidation and manipulation to gain more power. It hurts, it cuts, it scrapes, it tears, it stings, and it takes. This is death. And this is the language of the cursings described in Deuteronomy 27 and in Deuteronomy This is what happens when we disregard our God and we disregard his word. The pain that was invited into this good world at the same time that our ancient parents, Adam and Eve, took of the fruit and disobeyed God. They pushed him away and invited, in Genesis 3, chaos and death. You see, it's where our desires, rather than meeting God's design, bend inward, like an ingrown hare. I think it's a great example because it's disgusting, (laughs) And we swell, and we get infected, and we become so overly sensitive to the slightest touch. That should be a vivid picture for you. Even a healing touch is painful when you're infected, when you're swollen. And something deep within our hearts says this isn't the way that the world is supposed to be. We all know death isn't beautiful or compelling when we see it and painted in realism rather than in abstract. And we see it's dark, it's ominous colors coming to the fore. But somehow death still compels our hearts and calls us to take a joy ride down its wide lanes to destruction. So why does the road that leads to death still attract us? Why does that even catch our eye? Well, death's trick has always been to hide the dirty details. It's to cover it up and to draw by way of deception. It's a trap. It's a bait using alluring lies and twisted promises. Counterfeits that at times seem so desirable and seem so fulfilling, but they're replacements for what we really need and what we really want. So, in what ways do we choose the road to death? In verse 17, we get a clue. We see how it all goes down. Death's work starts in the heart, then it moves to the ears, then it slides down to the feet. And finally, your whole life falls into the the, the death grip of death. It reads, but if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. Like all seduction, death grabs us by our imaginations first. And so rather than dragging you by the legs, it hooks you by the heart. And it begins to pull at our senses, just as our initial parents, our ancient parents, Adam and Eve, were pulled away and seduced. We're drawn away. That's what the language is picking up there. This drawing away is the language of seduction. And we're drawn away from the path of life. It's hard sometimes to nail down how this happens in everyday uh, seductions uh, of of the pathway of death. But here are just a couple ways that death draws our hearts. So if we stay with this path metaphor, first we trust mirages of false rest. We trust these mirages of false rest. You see, our everyday journey, it can be tiring and it can be downright exhausting. When life and death are constantly duking it out, trying to win and take our souls and win us. For example, sometimes we think if we just eat enough food, we will comfort our emotional pain. We tickle our taste buds because our hearts are numb. Sometimes we drink enough alcohol in order to forget our pain. And so we numb our nerves so we don't have to listen to our screaming heart. Sometimes we fill our schedules so full with work, with social activities, with projects, that we don't have time to think about our pain. Busyness keeps the idle questions from creeping in. Or sometimes we think if we watch enough TV, we can entertain away our pain. Or if we have enough sex, we can assuage our heart's pain through physical pleasure. But every time we chase down those paths, as soon as we arrive at what they promised, it vanishes and we feel more exhausted than before. These false rests, these these mirages of false rest. And we try to take refuge in these death's diversions. But no matter what they promise, we're always left more joyless, more loveless, and more lifeless at the end. This is what Scripture teaches. Another way we choose the path of death is we try shortcuts that really are dead ends. Um, we want something or someone more than anything else, so we're unwilling to wait and to do it in God's timing. For example, okay, what does that look like? Okay, what does that mean? For example, any, instead of enjoying sex as a gift in the marriage bed, we take a shortcut in one night stands. Instead of having healthy work rhythms... We neglect our families to climb the social or the corporate ladder. Instead of slowly building a sustainable and generous lifestyle, we neglect giving to God and our fellow man to build a nest egg sooner rather than later. When we take these shortcuts, we think we've figured it out. We think we've avoided the difficulties that lie ahead. And we, had, we, we hope that we'll arrive at our destination sooner. But this is because we partly missed the whole point of this journey. Um... God's called us to a path that isn't a vacation. You know, when vacations, right, when you go on the journey, it's all about getting to the destination. Ah, can't wait till I just get there, then I can rest. Nor is it a tourist trip, where it's all about seeing the sights. It's never really about the destination. It's about going and seeing throughout the whole trip. Rather, our life is a pilgrimage. It's a word we don't use too often. It seems kind of antiquated, but it's very accurate. Accurate? (laughs) Accurate. Accurate. Uh, I went to uh, Princess Bride there, priest. Um, you know, it's very accurate, because a pilgrimage, it's a both about the journey and the destination, right? The, the journey and the destination does something to you and in you. And this whole pilgrimage, it forms your heart and it's driven by your heart. You only go because you long to experience and to go and to grow who you are. It's a journey of worship devotion and longing, and when we try shortcuts, we only shortchange ourselves. Now, some of these tactics we've talked about, they're more subtle than others. The church has more soapboxes on some of these than we do on others. We talk a lot more about some than we do others, which is inappropriate, but we do that. Um, But the path of death lures until it has all of you. It will not be satisfied with just part of you. Until you bow down, is the language here in verse 17, and surrender, starving in its wilderness, and you give your whole heart to these false gods of death. So here at the end of this path in verse 18, that's in your welcome folder. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. If you take this pathway to death, this is the result. The road to death sets you on a trajectory of pain such that it'll take everything that you love from you forever. Now, I, don't, I know you don't want this for yourself. I don't know anybody in here, unless they're a sadomasochist maybe, uh, would like that path for themselves. And guess what? God doesn't want that path for you either. God desires for us to flourish, whether we're young, whether we're older, and it isn't too late to choose life. So, do we just say at this point, just choose life, you know, just do it. Uh, You know, the great moral philosopher, Yogi Yogi Berra, (laughs) he once said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. I mean, not cool, Yogi Berra, not cool. But seriously, that's not very helpful. Um, And sometimes we can unintentionally do the same thing when we just shout out to someone, choose life, get it, come on. Everyone wants to choose the road that leads to awesome. That's not the doubt here. Well, how do we know if we're on the road to awesome? That's the real big question. And as we conclude this morning, let's look at three statements I hope will help us uh, know what it looks like to seek and to choose life. So first, the road that leads to awesome is a who before a what. The road that leads to awesome is a who ever before it is a what. How does Moses end his pep talk? He says halfway through Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19. Therefore choose life, that you and your offspring may live. Your kids and your kids' kids and your kids' kids' kids kids will live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, and holding fast to Him, for He is your life and length of days. Do you see it? Ultimately, the determining factor between life and death is God Himself. It isn't, if I just do the right things, then I'll get what I want kind of mentality. It is being with the right person who changes what you want. Who changes how you see the world. And it's the author of life who is our very source of sustaining life. And this is why earlier the way of life is described as loving God, listening to him, and holding fast to him. This is relational language. This isn't just learning rules and then doing it so you can get what you want. But it's knowing and going deeper in your walk with the creator of the universe because this road leads to awesome that it calls us to an awesome person. And it's making these intentional decisions to be in a right relationship with God that's life. Moses says in Deuteronomy 8.3, and Jesus actually echoes this verse in his time on earth, where he says we cannot live on bread alone. It's not just about physical sustenance. Why? Because we are dependent on what proceeds from the mouth of God. Moses says it. Jesus reaffirms it and lives it. And if we look to the dawn of time and we ask, how was the world created? We see that his life-giving words are what created this world. And then he says what? It is good. It is good. After he speaks goodness, it exists. And then he proclaims that it's good. He spoke life into being out of his being. Then he enters his own world at just the right time. As the living word, Jesus Christ. John says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he spoke goodness into the world that we might have life and life abundantly. And let it be known there are many ways to death. We talked about a couple of mirages of false rest, we talked about shortcuts, we talked about two initial different paths. But there's only one way. And Jesus himself says this in John chapter 14, verse 16. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, period. You know, that's in quotes because he doesn't say period. The road that leads to awesome is a who before a what. It has to be God himself. And it is our great God who became human, Jesus Christ, who really guides us towards flourishing and goodness. So, first, the road that leads to awesome is a who before a what. But the road that leads to awesome is available to the lost who repent. The lost who repent. And repent is an old word. I don't know. I I don't hear it that often in common language. uh, But I couldn't really find a good replacement for it because it captures so much great meaning. Um, Sometimes we use words that are a little more shallow in their depth. But some of these older words that we've kind of dropped off our shelves... They just have a lot more suitcases. They carry a lot more with them when we say them. And the word repent, it has a couple components. And Mainly if we could sum it up in these two. The humility to admit you were in the wrong. And secondly, the willingness to turn around and go a different way. It's both pieces. It's the humility to admit you were in the wrong and the willingness to turn around and go a different way. Now, some of us this morning... We've been wandering on a path to death for years now. And quite frankly, we're lost in the wilderness and we need help to get on the right road. Where some of us this morning have recently wandered from the path of life. We got trapped chasing after mirages or going down dead-end shortcuts. And we need help to return to the road that leads to awesome. Here's a traveler's tip. Um, When you turn to God, he will find you on any road. He'll always bring you to the better road. He won't leave you where you're at. He draws you to the road that leads to awesome. And so every pilgrim on this pilgrimage, as we said, right, we need a survival kit in case we lose our way. Um, what are some helpful steps? And so here are the four A's to get you back on track, right? I've got to do alliteration. I'm a pastor. So the four A's for a survival kit for some, a pilgrim who's lost their way. First, avoid running away. Stop in your tracks. I mean, the faster you run down the wrong path, the quicker you go to destruction, the quicker and the deeper in you go to the wilderness. So stop running and just pause for a minute and think. Secondly, admit you're lost. Admit you're lost. Have the humility to say you don't know where you're going. And one of the hardest things, you know, people talk about this all the time, but one of the hardest things, it's very true, for guys when we're driving is to admit that we're lost. We don't know where we're going. But we're going to find the way. If I just take this next right turn, I've got it. Okay, I'll know where I'm at. i just got to find Main Street. That's my north and south. Or I guess here it's east and west. No, it's north and south. Uh, (laughs) That's not a very good sign, is it? Um, And and, and, and when when we admit that we're lost, we finally admit that we can't survive on our own self-reliance. And we need help. We need help to get out of this mess. And this, I think, personally is one of the hardest steps in this whole survival kit. It's to say we need help. It's to say we don't know the way. It's to say that we are lost and admit that you're not in control. Thirdly, ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. I mean, once you admit that you're lost, you can then admit why you are really lost. It's our own heart's desire to run from God that got us in the wilderness. We chased after something else that caught our eye. So now you have to stop and ask God to forgive you because you've been running from him. Like whenever you're in a relationship with someone else and you run from the relationship and you constantly avoid honest discussion and you never call, there's an element of forgiveness. There's an element of asking for forgiveness and reconciliation. And here's the joy of how God works with the lost. He could just lock the doors to the road that leads to awesome and we never get back on again. But that's not who he is. The Bible says in 1 John 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He wants us on the road to awesome. And He's willing to forgive. Now, how, how can He give and uh, forgive and also be just? Because when God became human and showed us how to live in Jesus Christ, He not only lived the life that we couldn't live and showed us the way life was designed to be lived, but He died the death we deserved to die and he died it on a cross and as it says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law this curse that was proclaimed from Mount Ebal all the way back in the time of Moses for anyone who abandons God and does not follow stringently his commands Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree And he took our curse, our punishment upon himself so that we could live with him forever in true life and life abundance. The curse was taken and our life is freely given for whoever asks for it. Whoever asks. So not only do we avoid running away, not only do we admit that we're lost and ask for forgiveness, but we accept a new guide. We accept a new guide. I mean, it isn't just confessing you're wrong and admitting you're lost and then putting up camp. But it's being willing to trust where God leads, wherever he leads. He may call us to jump across cliffs we never thought possible. He may call us to climb the highest mountain that we never thought that our physical bodies could portray to. He may call us towards what we consider a very boring path. Because it doesn't have all the excitements that we thought it might. But you must follow him, for he is the God. And you have to let him lead if you're ever to truly taste the road to awesome. We have a lot of different expectations on what this path should look like. But his word reveals it very clearly. The Bible. So not only do we see that this path that leads to awesome is a who before what. Not only is this path that leads to awesome um, <clears throat> available to the lost who repent. But it's also traveled by a heart that clings to God's promises. Travel by a heart that clings to God's promises. You know, as we said earlier, this isn't a vacation or a tourist trip, but it's a pilgrimage that we choose to travel on a daily basis. We don't just make one decision and then we can do whatever we want the rest of our lives. This is a daily journey. It's a relationship. And it's this daily journey to trust that God will be good on his promises that he makes in his word as we go along this journey. How do we do this? We do this first By daily choosing to remember Jesus. Daily choosing to remember Jesus. God has made the road to awesome clear. And in Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 11, the Apostle Paul actually quotes the first four or five verses of our text in Deuteronomy. And he says this, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Scripture clearly says that we don't have to go searching anymore for a better path. We can rest assured in what God has revealed in Jesus. The road to awesome has been forged in Christ and through Christ, and he is our salvation from the road to destruction. So when you're exhausted, don't go to those mirages of false rest. When you're longing for a shortcut, don't trust the signs. In the words of the writer of Hebrews, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, speaking of Jesus, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Remember Jesus daily and what he has done for you, what God has done for you. Secondly, we cling to God's promises by daily choosing to follow Jesus. It's not just a mental exercise. In Matthew 11, Jesus calls, to, calls us to him, and he says, All who are weary and heavy laden are weighed down by burdens. I will give you rest. But he doesn't tell us to just sit and take a load off, does he? He calls us to follow him, for his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. We still are walking, and many times throughout Scripture you see this metaphor, walk in God's commands. Walk in God's commands. Because you're walking, when you walk in God's commands, you're following the road that leads to awesome. It's a metaphor that all of Scripture just is always packing upon, this language of a journey and a pilgrimage. It's here that the author of life not only points to life, but shows us how to walk along the path. So, This is the road that leads to awesome. Take it or leave it. I mean, literally. And in the words of Kid President, this is your time. You know, this is my time. This is our time. So choose the road that leads to awesome. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do uh, just, we rest in your beauty. There's so much in our world competing for our ultimate allegiance. Our money calls out to us and asks us to give everything that we have that we might have more. Our, our physical pleasures, whether they be food, alcohol, sex, what have you, also call out for us to make them ultimate. That every relationship bows as long as we get food, alcohol, or sex. And these shortcuts to deaden our pain, they're just dead ends. May we not be seduced by the ploys of death, but may we, by the power of your Holy Spirit, choose your road that leads to awesome. Open our eyes to see life for what it is. Open our eyes to see death for what it truly is. And give us the strength to choose life that comes only through Jesus Christ. We're going to give you the thanks and the praise. We look forward to the day. When this journey does reach its end, in you and with you, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, we do pray these things.